Good morning, Pathway, and welcome once again to church, whether it be on your couch or your deck or from your vehicle or wherever you are watching today. Welcome. We are so glad to have you welcome us into your space, your social distancing space, whatever that is. So thank you and good morning. I'm super excited that we are continuing on in our Family Funhouse series. And today we're going to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart, which is focus on others. And I want to I start everything off by getting you used to this term because this is going to be something I say or imply a lot throughout this message. And it is this, it's not about you. And so, so welcome to this morning. I know that a lot of you are already super excited about hearing what I have to say because of that one little statement. So let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. And we're going to read in Philippians how Paul says that we can live unified and harmonious as a family. And so turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. As Pastor Rob likes to say, if you don't know where the book of Philippians is, there's a table of contents in the beginning of your Bible. People work really hard to put it there. Don't be afraid to use it. And once you find Philippians chapter 2, if you wouldn't mind standing with me as you read, as we read this together, guys, it's just a show of reverence for God's word. Um, It's not a huge deal, but Even in this time, I think it's good to remain unified in what we do. So let's read in chapter 2, starting in verse 1 of the book of Philippians. He says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word and for giving us this word, Lord, to to draw from to look out on how we can live our lives. And and God, we thank you for for giving us people like Paul who wrote these words so that we can look how to live our lives in unity and in harmony with our family members as well as the world as a whole. So Lord, be with us this morning as we study your word. I pray that your words would come out of my mouth. Lord, that it would not be my opinions and my thoughts, but God, that it would be stuff directly from you that can bless us and edify us as we try to grow closer to you and understand how to just function as a unit together better. We love you so much, Lord, and we thank you for all that you do for us. In your name, amen. Guys, it's funny because Paul here addresses the uh, Philippians and he exhorts them to live in unity. Uh, there, are, there are so many people or organizations that you might be able to think off the top of your head who do not focus on love and unity. That is not their main goal. That is not the end game of these organizations, or it's not the end game of a lot of people in our lives. They could care less of who we are. They just want whatever it is that's going to help them get ahead in the world. And so Paul here is talking to us as Christians, and, and we're going to be talking to us as family members, Family Funhouse, Uh, to be talking about how we can live contrary to what the world says, but in unification, in unity and harmony in our own homes, in the way that we live. And and the first thing that we need to take a look at in in verse 1 here is we have, since this, 
then this. And so there's, there's this idea of, of a therefore. And we always used to say in the Bible college, and you guys might be familiar with it, what's the therefore, therefore? And so whenever you see the word therefore, it gives you an indication that you should go back and look at what the context of these verses is. So really quickly, I want to look back to verses 29 and 30 of chapter 1, where we see how Paul is building this argument for the believers in Philippi to be more unified. And he says this, he says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. And then he starts chapter 2. He says, since the believers did in fact believe in Jesus, then there are, there are certain cir- uh, consequences to believing in Christ. And Paul is telling them one of these consequences is that, guess what, guys? You will suffer. Suffer is part of life. Suffering is part of life. Uh, It's something we don't like to talk about. It's not something that we address very often. But I want to go through just a couple of verses that the Bible states that explains to us suffering is something that we cannot avoid in our life. Uh, 1 Peter 5.10 says, and after you have suffered. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. James 1, 2 through 4 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. John 16, 33, this is Jesus himself speaking, and he says, uh, again, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And that's a beautiful promise. Even the Old Testament, Psalm 34, 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And then finally, 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, will be persecuted if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Now, there are many, many other references. These are just a few, but there are many other references about how we as Christians, as righteous we will suffer. We will go through trials and tribulations. And before you, you know, turn me off because you're just bummed out, understand there is an upside to this. We're just getting to it. But here's the thing is the Bible is not afraid to address what it means to be a Christian. Even Jesus says, count the cost. When we come to him, when we follow him, when we choose to follow him, there is a cost to following him. Now, I'm not guaranteeing that your life is going to be miserable and that's the end of it because you chose to follow Jesus. But what I'm saying is we should not be surprised with the world when we go through these sufferings. This can be a discouraging thought, guys. And I'm just going to admit to you, like sometimes for me, it's really hard to accept the fact that we have to go through sufferings as Christians. But when we go into the next verse of chapter 2, we see that we do have a flip side of that consequence. There are other consequences to following Jesus that are actually good. And so in verse 1, Paul asks some rhetorical questions here, questions that are obvious answers when we know who the character of Jesus is, as well as when we know the character of God in our lives. Um, And instead, I want to read this verse really quick. But instead of using the word if, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it because the idea of this word if is not really a great translation. The word if here should be translated as since. Since it's a rhetorical question, we know that the answer is yes to all of these. And so we really can replace that word if with since. And so instead of reading, therefore, if there is any consolation, we should be reading since there is consolation in Christ. 
since there is comfort of love, since there is a fellowship of the Spirit, since there is affection and mercy, fulfill my joy in, cha- in verse 2. So that, whole, that little word, that one little word changes that perspective of that verse because we know that Christ gives us consolation. The idea of comfort, the idea of protection. And not only that, guys, cool words here. When, when he uses the word consolation and comfort, th- these words carry with them the idea of power. They, they carry an offensive type of, of language where, where Christ gives us not just comfort so that we are comforted in the hard times, but boldness and courage and bravery. These are, these are other words that could be used here. And so, so we know that Christ gives us consolation. He gives us comfort. There's a fellowship of the Spirit, meaning that he has given us his Spirit so that we can, we can have fellowship with him and he can, he can give us things that we need. He can give us guidance. He can show us the path. And so there's that fellowship there. And then the the last two things, affection and mercy. What beautiful gifts that we get from Jesus Christ when we choose to follow him. Now, these are all things that we receive when we believe in the Lord. And, And so, yes, granted, there will be suffering. But guys, on top of that, we can't, we can't separate these two. On top of the suffering, we will get consolation and comfort. We will have affection and mercy. We will have fellowship with the Spirit of God. And these things, guys, in my opinion, I'm sorry if you disagree, but in my opinion, these are worth it. A little bit of suffering does not match the affection and mercy of the God of the universe what a beautiful thought that Paul is, is putting together here that shows us that, yes, we will have suffering. And in our households, we, we have that as well. There is suffering, and sometimes it's just you have to suffer through doing the dirty laundry. Uh, other times, it's a little more serious. But guys, when we have that suffering, we can offset it with the consolation and the comfort and the fellowship with the Spirit and the affection and mercy of God. Again, in my opinion... That's a fair trade-off. That is a very fair trade-off. And so we look at this and we say, okay, so what does this mean for our house? Well, Paul goes on, and and we're going to talk about point number two here, and that is unity in the house. And so so Paul moves to verse two, where he states, since we have all of these good things, since we have all of these things from the Lord, then we should be living together in harmony. We should be working towards those things that, that edify one another, that build each other up. And, and here's the thing is, guys, we like to start, this is where we start disconnecting from these verses, specifically with our household. And a lot of you guys are sitting at your home and you say, you've never had a teenager. Well, not yet, I will, and I'll probably tell you, yeah, you were right when I get there. But guys, we don't know all of the hardships that you go through as your family. I don't know them unless you let me know. And so I'm not trying to assume that I know your situation right now. What I do want to say is that your situation is covered here. And so give me a minute because before we start saying it's impossible to live in perfect harmony or perfect unity, uh, he gives us, Paul gives us the tools on which we can use to have harmonious relationships inside of our household and get this outside of it as well. So before you get, again, before you turn us off or anything and thinking, well, I don't have a family, this is also good tools to use in your work life, in your relationships outside of your household. So, so he gives us 
four steps for harmonious living. And I'm not going to, uh, I'm not Baptist enough to give you guys like a, a chart of four things. And I, I don't think in post we'll, we'll put like number one, this. No, I'm just going to list these off. But these are four steps that he uses in verse two for harmonious living. He says, be like-minded. That's the first one. He said, have the same love. Number three is be of one accord. And number four is be of one mind. And, and most of us, again, are sitting back in our chair saying, well, that's a lot easier said than done. Those four things are extremely difficult. And, and I would say, yes, they are without Jesus. And, but don't be discouraged because Paul gives us even more instructions on how to actually implement these things into our daily living. And, and he actually goes into it in the next verses to talk about how we can uh, make these things work together for harmonious living. But I want to take just one second really quick here. And I, I know I say that a lot and then I go off for like 25 minutes. I promise it won't be like that. Right now, I just want to address the fact that this is not possible. None of these things are possible without Jesus Christ in the house. And some of you guys may remember when I came up to uh, candidate here at, at Pathway, uh, I taught on family living and things like that and how to raise your children and stuff like that. And one of the things that I talked about was how we as parents tend to expect the youth group or the children's ministry or, or the church as a whole to take care of and raise our children. And then on the other hand, during the week, we live our lives however we want to. We do what we want. We say what we want. We drink what we want. We go where we want. And then we drop them off at youth group and, and we, we say to Tyler, our youth leader, we say, fix my kid. And guys, I, I want to encourage you Jesus has to be a daily part of our lives. Mothers, fathers, leaders in the household. It doesn't even have to be parents, but leaders in the household. You must have Christ to be the one who you rely on to direct your paths. He must be the one that, that shows you how to live this life of humility, of peace, of unity. Otherwise, guys, it's just going to be you trying to make it work, and that is never it is never going to work like that. And so let me encourage you right now, if you are discouraged, that's okay, Paul goes on. If you are confused as to how this is happening, guys, first and foremost, Christ has to be the center of all of your relationships in your household. Pray with your family and not just before dinner time. Read the Bible together as a family. Study the Bible together as a family. Talk about church. Talk about what you learned this week. Talk about what God is doing in each other's lives. Guys, go to your sons, your daughters, your, your mothers and fathers and ask them questions about how God is working in their life, what God is teaching them. Confess your sins one to another and he shall be faithful to forgive them. Guys, we should go to our family units and our household to do these things, but it has to be Christ-centered first. And so, so trying to get back on track, that is a hard statement in and of itself. And, and I want to say something that's a little bit redundant. We can only do what we can do. You are in control of yourself. I would like to turn to Romans chapter 12, if you would, for just a second. And I'm going to read a few things that give us just some basic Christianity 101 stuff. And so Romans chapter 12 in, in verse 9, he says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. 
be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love or fatherly love or motherly love, um, in honor, giving preference to one another. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. There's some similar language here if you guys haven't caught on yet to Philippians. It says, do not set your mind on high, high things. Uh, other, other word for that is being conceited. But associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, listen to this, guys. This is a big one, and you might even be able to see. It's highlighted in my Bible. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Guys, these are some great basic steps on how you can have that harmony in your household. These are great steps on how you can see God working in your life. And, and here's the thing. It's not a, don't, if you're a wife or a husband right now and you're nudging your spouse and being like, hey, pay attention to what he's saying. You should, you should do all these things. Guys, you're the only one that can do it. You're the only one that can change you. If somebody else tries to change you, your son, your daughter, your, your wife, your husband, your mother, your father, it's natural for us to kick against those goads and fight against that. And so don't nudge someone else. Hear these words from Paul and think about how you can change who you are to be a better influence in your household, to be a better influence in your workplace, to be a better person as you walk through. These are good things, guys, for Christians and non-Christians to follow because guess what? You can't go wrong with love. You can't go wrong with trying to help others. And so, so take those words to heart. And here's the thing. There has to be a desire on our part to actually live in peace with others. There's plenty of times in our family. I'm sorry, I'm going to bare my soul a little bit. There's plenty of times when Jackie and I, we fight. There's plenty of times when I'm not interested in peace. I'm interested in winning I'm not interested in harmony. I'm interested in making sure that she knows I'm right and she's wrong. And guys, that is never going to create a peaceful, harmonious household. That is always going to kick against those goads. It's always going to go opposite of what God is saying to us and what Paul is saying here. You cannot control others. I want to stress this point. You cannot control others. You can only control yourself. And if we're truthful, guys... Jesus Christ is the one who should be controlling you. I think a few weeks ago we talked about how God should be the one that's making your choices for you. You are a dead man as a Christian. And so as we work with our family, as we do these things, guess what? You are the start of the beginning of the harmony. Not the person next to you. Well, it's all his fault. It's all her fault. It's not like that. It's how can I change to show more love to my wife? How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better father and, and abhor what is evil in my family? So guys, it's up to us to do this. And then Paul gives us on, he goes, and he gives us the tools with which to accomplish this harmony, this unity in the next, few, in the next couple verses. He, he 
gives us the, the point of having a mind towards others. And that's our third point today, is having the mind towards others. There are a lot of beliefs that we practice as Christians uh, that are contrary to what the world believes. Um, the world believes that, that we as Christians even should look like them. And, and we're not going to get into whether or not we do a good job of that or a bad job of that. But when we read this book here, this Bible, then we, we know that God is calling us to a separate, set-apart life. And so we have to have a mind towards others. In the business world, you have people who, who clamor on top of each other and try and get ahead, and I want that promotion, and I want more money, and, and, and they'll do anything to get it. As Christians, it's our job to humbly serve our masters. And so that's no different in our household. Paul describes how we can live our lives with unity in our family uh, unit as well as with the world. It doesn't have to be a give and take. We can do this in and out of every single day. And here's the first step. The first step is to not live for our selfish ambition or conceit. He says in verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. So, so the first step is not having selfish ambition or conceit. In our families especially, guys, it can be easy to be selfish uh, and want someone else to do everything else for me. It can be very easy to start making excuses of, I'm tired, I work hard, I, I work all day, so I just want to be pampered and taken care of when I get home, or I, I work all day with the kids, or I do it do all of these things, and, and I just want this. It can be very easy to have selfish ambition of, well, I'm going to do everything, and, and you, you sit back and just watch and be amazed at how awesome I am. Um, there's, there's this idea, and we get into fights because we think we know better than our family members. There's this idea in our hearts that we are all-knowing uh, when it comes to certain things, and not that I would ever think that any of you guys ever have that kind of attitude, but this is conceited. <laughs> this is the very def definition of conceit, is thinking high-minded. Think of that. It's, it's thinking that I am somehow better than because I know better than you, and I'm willing to point that out. It's really thinking too highly of oneself, and he said, Paul encourages us to lay that aside and be humble. Do not have selfish ambition or conceit. But the second point, lowliness of mind. And here's the thing, guys, especially in this culture, it would have been very uh, poignant to hear this because they were very high-minded people. They, they studied a lot. They, they, they thought a lot. They read a lot. All these things. And so to actually go opposite that of, and put yourself underneath people and saying, I don't know everything, Guys, that's, that's that lowliness of mind. And, and here's the thing is you can fight with your family all you want, but at some point one of you guys has to understand that it's not about winning because if you win and your spouse loses or you win and your kids lose, then guess what? Your family is not going forward at all. Your family is not going anywhere. It's just you have become superior to everyone else and they are inferior to you. It's not about winning. Guys, put that aside, lowliness of mind. When we truly esteem others better than ourselves, we're doing more than just treating them the way we would like to be treated. We're treating them better than the way we would like to be treated. 
There's a great quote, it's David Guzik. If you guys study him at all, you should, if you don't read some of his stuff. But he says, if I consider you above me and you consider me above you, then a marvelous thing happens. We have a community where everyone is looked up to and no one is looked down on. And that is the goal in family, guys. That is the goal in the household. That is what will make it a family fun house and not a family miserable house. That will be what makes it a point where everyone is valued, everyone gets a voice at the table, and everyone works together to have harmony and unity. And so here's the first two steps. These first two steps go a long way in seeing unity, but there's one more step to take, and that's look out not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. This is verse 4. Here's the thing is, as we put away our selfish ambitions, our conceit, and our tendencies to be high-minded and self-absorbed, we will naturally have a greater concern for the interests of others. It's important to note here that Paul is not saying that it's wrong to have interest or to look out for your own interests. He's saying that we should not only look out for our own interests. So it's not just about Andrew. It's not just about you. It is about everyone around you. And here's the thing again is, if I'm putting my wife above me and she's putting me above her, then guys, there's this beautiful unity that happens where both of us just want to serve one another and we want to serve Jesus together. We want to serve our children together. We want to live in that harmony that is so elusive to so many people. And guys, let me encourage you with this. Do not give up on this. And I guarantee you, once you decide that you want to try these things, Satan will come in and try and bomb you. And he will try and get underneath your skin. And everything that your spouse does will just irritate you like none other. Everything that your kid, every word that your child says to you will just drive you up a tree. Don't let it happen. Don't give in to the enemy's attacks because I guarantee you he will attack. Remember, suffering does happen. Press into Jesus as a family. As a family unit, press into Jesus. In a family, and I'll close with this, just so you guys know. In a family, we have so many opportunities to selfishly climb on top of or to put others down. We know our families so well, and that gives us so much ammunition against them, to use against them. And we can, we can dismantle a person that we live with and take them apart and reduce them to ashes like no one else in this world. That is what the world does. But here's the thing is when we choose to focus on others, we're saying that my ego no longer matters. It's not about me. For the health of the community or the health of the family, I will put others ahead of my own interests and allow them to be the most important cog in the unit. I'm okay with being a supporter in this. I don't need to be the center of attention. I don't need to be the person in my family who everybody looks up to. I want to be the person that works with everyone. When we do this, then the family will continue to grow together and win against the world. Let me encourage you to do this. Spend this week looking over these verses in, in chapter 2 of Philippians. And, and I'm going to challenge you guys, memorize them. Put them here in your heart. 
Don't let them just be something that you read mechanically and, and go away and say, okay, there's some good points to take away from this. That's the entire Bible, guys. Put these words in your heart. Memorize them. Write them down on notes and post them in the bathroom. Post them in the kitchen. Post them in the garage or on your steering wheel or somewhere where you will see them and be reminded that it is our job to live in harmony with not just our family unit, but with everyone around us as well. As much as it is up to you, live peaceably with all men. Guys, remind yourself that God loves you so much and he has done so much for you. Yes, there will be suffering, but he gives us the fellowship of the Spirit. He gives us the affection and the mercy that we so, our soul so desires. Remind yourself how you can love your family members by not being selfish, conceited, or high-minded. Look out for their interests above your own. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for what you've done in our lives. God, I pray that even in this morning as we, as we study your word, I pray that you would squeeze our hearts. Lord, help us to be uncomfortable to the point of change. Help us to look to you on how we can do this better, how we can love each other better. And again, not just our families, but the people around us. Help me to be humble. Lord, humble me so that I become less and you become more. As John says, he must increase, I must decrease. Lord, we want you to increase in our lives. We want you to increase in our households. We want you to be the one that we look to when we have struggles, when we have suffering, when we have trials and tribulation. Please be with us as we seek to better serve you and better serve our family. Go with us this week, Lord. We love you, we thank you, and we praise your name. Amen.